Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you're through with us this week. And uh, as we try to find some answers to Bible questions, it's what we do here. And many of you are longtime viewers, so you understand what we do. But if you're watching for the first time and wonder what Know Your Bible means, that's exactly what we do is try to help people know their Bible. In fact, we learn about a lot about the Bible ourselves on this program. So we all get to know our Bible a little bit better. The way we do it is not by telling you what we think you ought to know. We let you ask us what you'd like to know. So you'll see a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Now, some people have a verse they've always wondered about. Uh, some people wonder where is something in the Bible or is something really in the Bible. And a lot of people have life questions, uh, things that are going on in their family or their work or the country, and they wonder, what's the Bible say about that? We'd like to try to find an answer to those for you. So use the phone number website. Let us know. You direct the program. Uh, we'll try to answer your, as many as we can today. So let's get started. I'm Steve Tandy. Jeff Martin's back. Hi, Jeff. Morning. And Toby Levering's here. Hi, Steve. Hi, Mr. Toby. Glad you guys are here and we're studied up and ready to go. Uh, hopefully our viewers are ready for their question. We always give them one first. So here's the viewer's question. Uh, where did the wise men find Jesus? And my guess is a lot of people will guess real quickly because they know that. And at the end of the program, we'll give you the answer. And a lot of you are going to miss that one. It's a little <laughs> bit of a trick question. So <laughs> a little bit like Jeff's first question. I, I bet right. he can't get this one right. How did the Apostle Paul <laughs> die? And no, I can't get it exactly right. Uh, the details of the Apostle Paul's death are unknown. Um, we don't know, and it doesn't say in the Bible. And we had this question a couple times recently, and I'll take it a little bit of a different direction today. Uh, but many believe he was beheaded under Nero. Uh, and almost everyone believes that, is universally believed that he was martyred for the faith. Uh, if you read Romans 15, you can see that Paul had a plan to meet with the body of believers in Rome. And so those could have possibly been uh, his last writings. We don't know the details. No specifics, just that he was martyred. I will take it a step further this week and say that I'm confident uh, that Paul was at peace. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible I want to share with you guys this morning that shows no matter what happened to Paul, um, he was content. And that's Acts 20, 24. Let's look at that. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. What an amazing way to live life. So I know that however uh, Paul lived, uh, however Paul died, he was content and at peace with the fact uh, that he was going to be with the Lord. All righty. Thank you, Jeff. Okay, we got to... 
got a sensitive one here. Viewers asking about gluttony. Uh, how do we know if we're committing the sin of gluttony? Well, easiest way to handle that is just say that's an Old Testament law and we're under the New Testament, so we don't need to worry about it. Uh, but I'm being facetious there. Gluttony, uh, let me say this. We do not know if we're committing the sin of gluttony on the scales. Uh, if you decide, okay, the person's got to be in a certain shape, uh, have a certain body mass index, or he's a glutton, uh, then you've got a real problem deciding where that line is. And you've got a real problem deciding what the person's uh, physical causes are. Some, have, some people have physical reasons that they're a little bit overweight. So it, it's not about that. Now, certainly we ought to be in decent shape and healthy and all that's a good ideal but when we talk about gluttony that's not what we're talking about gluttony is more of a attitude a lifestyle a mindset and let's just look at a couple of verses that prove that one from the old testament and one from the new testament deuteronomy is where gluttony is mentioned deuteronomy 21 20 says parents shall say to the elders of their city this is our son. This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He'll not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Okay, so you see this son. It's it, not that he's ten pounds overweight uh, that makes him a glutton. It, he's stubborn. He's rebellious. He doesn't obey his parents. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He, he just lives for pleasure. Okay. Now let's read one from Philippians chapter 3 that talks about people that are going to uh, not make it to heaven. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. All right, there's that attitude again. Uh, nothing about God, nothing about eternity. Uh, I'm just living for today. Uh, eat, drink, and be merry is the old philosophy. Uh, they're gods, their belly. They just live to enjoy this life. Now, if you do that, yeah, you may end up uh, a drunkard. You may end up overweight. You may have all sorts of physical problems. Uh, but the physical condition is not the problem. The problem is the attitude, the mindset, the lifestyle uh, that I'm living for myself and enjoyment and pleasure, and I care nothing about the things of God. So that's what gluttony is really about. And certainly Christians ought to be self-disciplined. Uh, I think it's when, uh, that's another topic. Uh, but gluttony is more about lifestyle than it is body mass index. Yeah. All right, Toby. I, I wanted to add on to your okay. answer, if that's all right. Yep. The, uh, you know, the three basic sins are lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. The flesh is a very powerful thing, mm -hmm. and if you aren't careful, its desires can master you and control you. So yep. that, that gluttony, you're exactly right. Not not about a BMI or <laughs> what's on the scale, but uh, your how how you control your flesh, how it controls you. Yep, so good answer. It. All right, uh, next question is, does it say we will be reunited with our loved ones in heaven? Uh, all right, this is... Uh, this is uh, you know, one of those things, when, especially when someone dear to you passes away, uh, certainly if they were a faithful Christian, and you'll hear that. Uh, we'll, we'll see him again in heaven someday. It'll be a grand reunion. I've said that. 
um, because I, I do think we will be reunited with uh, loved ones who are in Christ Jesus in heaven someday. Uh, I can't point you to a verse that says that's exactly going to happen, uh, but there are some things, some clues uh, that, that are not directly saying, but they're indirectly giving me this idea. Uh, I'll, I'll point them to you. Uh, they're not on the screen, but you can look them up. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus describes the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, that, that description, the rich man recognizes Abraham, recognizes Lazarus, uh, asks Abraham to send someone back to his brothers. So there's cognizance, there's awareness of who people are, and certainly of family members uh, in the afterlife. Uh, now, that's not in heaven. That's in the, the realm of Hades, the realm of the dead. But, but still, that recognition is there. In uh, Matthew 17, at the description of the transfiguration, uh, the, the men recognized Moses and Elijah, though they had certainly been dead for a long time. Uh, they reappeared, and there was recognition of who they were. They didn't lose their identity. Uh, David, when his infant son passed away, in a very powerful verse, uh, after his found out that the son had passed, uh, he rises up from his period of mourning, and he and he, he eats, and he tries to continue on life as normal. And his servants are very disturbed by this, and they say, "What? How come you mourn before, but now you don't?" And he says, uh, "I will not. I, I will go to him." but he will not return to me. So David had in mind that someday, if he was faithful to the Lord, he would see his infant son again. All right, so those are some, some clues that, that we get. Uh, here's the biggest one for me, uh, where Jesus talked about the treasure that you can take to heaven. Now, you think, well, I didn't think we could take treasure to heaven. Well, that's true. You can't take earthly treasure to heaven. You can't take gold and silver and stocks and bonds and businesses and companies and assets like that. But there is something that's a, a great treasure uh, that you can take with you to heaven, and it's souls. Here's what Jesus said, verse 20 and 21 of Matthew 6. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I often think of my dear grandmother who would refer to her grandchildren as her treasures. And so I like to think about that. And, and, and the idea that we treasure people, we love them. And I, so yes, I do think we'll be reunited with our loved ones in heaven, though I can't point you to a specific book, chapter, and verse. If they're in Christ Jesus, I think they'll be there. Now, that's what, not what heaven's all about, but I think that's one of the things that's going to make it great, and I look forward to being there someday. Let's talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, a lot of our viewers uh, study the Bible seriously. Some of you have probably sat down maybe about New Year's and said, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. Uh, that sometimes works, and oftentimes it doesn't work because it's just kind of hard to stick to that. Now, that's one way to study the Bible, and it's a fine way, but we think there are some other ways that are a little more user-friendly, perhaps, to get to know your Bible, and we try to help people know their Bible. So we've got some tools that we'll send you that uh, will facilitate your study. Here's a, lesson, a set of lessons. There's eight in it. Uh, just a good overview of the Bible, not tied to any denomination or creed or anything. Just you want to know what your Bible says, go through those eight lessons. When you graduate from that, you can go on to some of these other courses. 
uh, learn a little history, learn about the life of Jesus, learn about the book of Acts. A lot of good Bible studies there that you can spend a lot of time with. And we've got an online course that we make available. All you have to do is log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and uh, give them some information and you can start studying the Bible on your phone or tablet and just uh, learn a lot about your Bible digitally. So we got a lot of options. Phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime. Tell us uh, you'd like that free course and we'll get them started for you. Uh, let's see who's up next here. Mr. Jeff. Yes, and it's a, an important, a common question, uh, but a very important one. Can it ever be too late to repent? Uh, and again, this is a good question. It's one that, that, that's good to answer uh, from the Word of God. Uh, a lot of times, I've, I've spoken to quite a few people, teenagers included, who feel like they've, they've done too much to repent. They've sinned too much to repent, that they're too far gone. And they don't deserve forgiveness. So because of that, they continue on living an unrepentant life or continue on living a life without Christ. Uh, the best way to answer this question is go to some of the cornerstones of our faith. Uh, Jesus Christ died for our sins. Uh, and the Bible tells us in multiple places uh, that if we believe in, in Jesus Christ, that we're to repent uh, and to be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins and then receive the gift of eternal life. So everything that I just said is for all of you listening. Uh, it's for everyone. It's a free gift uh, that, that we don't deserve, none of us deserve, uh, but that we should uh, take. You, if you know that you need God's grace, if you know that you're a sinner, if you feel guilt, then it is not too late. Uh, even if you're on your deathbed, even if you've spent many, many years sinning, it's not too late. And the Bible gives us some very comforting words when it comes to this. Let's look at Second Peter 3. Nine, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God wants you to come to repentance. Uh, and in the end, God is the ultimate judge. Uh, but that's a very comforting verse. Uh, there are many who think that a deathbed confession or a confession after multiple years of sinning isn't good enough. Um, but if those people were to look inward, if they were to examine themselves, uh, they would also find themselves very undeserving of salvation. Uh, they don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. No one does. But it's still freely given, and it is not too late. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Question about demons. Viewer wants to know, do some people today have demons in them? Uh, well, I've met a few folks that I'd certainly question that, but uh, I'm being a little facetious there. A serious question. Uh, read through the Bible, and you'll find that especially in this little part, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, you read a lot about demon possession. You read about people who have a, a demon or demons uh, that have possessed their body and make them do things that they don't want to do. And... Jesus showed that he had power to cast those demons out. Uh, he gave the, that power to the apostles and some others were able to cast demons out. But the interesting thing is, once you get outside Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, you don't read about that. 
the rest of the New Testament, you don't read about casting out demons. You don't read about how to exercise anyone. Uh, it's kind of concentrated there in that period of 40, 50 so years. Uh, our understanding of that is that God loosed the demons. He gave them some kind of extra ability uh, during that period so that Jesus and the apostles could demonstrate their power over the forces of evil. Uh, we don't read about it in other places, so that's one explanation of why so much of it happens right then. Now, also after that period, there's a, a difference in how people uh, are protected. At, at baptism, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he seals us to salvation. Uh, and when demons, Satan and his minions, uh, come against a Christian, they see that seal. Uh, they know this fellow belongs to God, and I'm limited. I can't mess with him the ways I can other people, one way to think about it. So we live in a different time uh, than what we read about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, uh, the, the one verse that says something about chasing the devil out or chasing him away uh, doesn't really talk about exorcism. James 4, 7, let's look at that. Uh, James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. All right, uh, he doesn't have power to take us over. Uh, so to answer the question, I do not believe a Christian uh, should have any fear about walking down the street one day and all of a sudden being possessed by a demon. I don't think they have that power. I think God limits them. And on top of that, the Holy Spirit protects us from that kind of thing. Now, whole other matter, which I don't know the answer to, uh, but I would not deny that a person who messes with the occult, who messes with witchcraft, who deals in demonic things, can get to the point where they essentially invite uh, demonic powers in. Uh, I think that's entirely possible. Uh, I've read the accounts of things that happen in the world, especially in cultures where uh, demon worship and uh, uh, that kind of thing is practiced. Uh, some strange things happen. So I would not deny that some of those people might have a demon in them. But in general, as a Christian, there's nothing for us to worry about. Uh, we cannot be possessed against our will. So hope that helps you understand demon possession a little bit. All right, I have a question about purgatory. The viewer wants to know, where did the idea of purgatory come from if it's not in the Bible? The idea of purgatory is not in the Bible. It's a, a teaching of the Catholic Church. It's a teaching of their doctrine. Uh, and I'm not an expert on Catholic doctrine, so I pulled up the definition from the Catholic Encyclopedia because I want to answer this with great respect to our Catholic viewers. Uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia defined it as a place or condition of temporal punishment for those who, departing this life in God's grace, are not entirely free from venial faults or have not fully paid the uh, satisfaction due to their transgressions. Uh, so <clears throat> the, there's a couple of problems 
with the teaching, of the doctrine of purgatory. One, as you said, it's not in the Bible. Uh, that's the big problem. Anytime we go outside the Bible and we're basing our certainly eternal decisions on things, uh, we want to be very careful. And generally speaking, um, that's the uh, a view of the Catholic Church is that the authority of the Bible is equal with the teachings of the Catholic Church. And that's where we differ. Uh, we, we say the authority is in Scripture alone. Now, what does the Bible say uh, that, that gives us problems with the idea or the teaching of purgatory? Well, first is a very works-based theology. Uh, the idea that uh, you have to earn your salvation, and when you die in the grace of God, still yet you haven't gone far enough that the atonement was insufficient of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we, we look at some scriptures to understand why that's problematic. Uh, Hebrews 7.27 uh, and following says, He has no need, like those of the high priest, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself. And so... Uh, when it's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ being our high priest, laying himself down, that sacrifice was full and final. That payment that was made uh, to telestah was what he said at the cross, uh, which we uh, translate as it is finished. The meaning of that meaning paid in full. And so his atonement is fully sufficient for those who are in him. Uh, the second uh, is from 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. It says, um, verse 2, uh, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So when Christ's sacrifice was made, it w that is the full sufficient atonement and propitiation for our sins. There's, if you're in Christ, there's nothing more that you need to do uh, to earn your salvation, or after you die, to earn your way into heaven. And so... Uh, that's uh, important to understand as well. And then the last one, and, and this is a big one, is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, says this very clearly. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So purgatory is this kind of place in between where you're not quite there yet, and maybe if enough good, enough prayers are said, enough good is done on this side of things, then your status will change. And that's not what Hebrew 9, Hebrews 9.27 uh, says at all, that you die and after that your eternal condition has been placed. So I uh, hope that that helps a little bit. Again, I'm not an expert on purgatory, but it is not biblical and the doctrine goes against biblical teachings. So hope that helps you. Thank you, Toby. Let me take this moment and invite you to church. Uh, many of you have a home church, and we understand that, but uh, we've got a lot of viewers that uh, do not have a home church, might be looking for one, and mainly we like to mention a few of the folks that help keep us on the air. So here's a few from up in the Quad Cities area. Uh, we broadcast out of Rock Island, and a lot of churches around there help us do that. Uh, the Congregation of the Church Christ in Sterling, Illinois, the one in Moline, and the one in Muscatine, Iowa. Uh, all around the Quad Cities there, and we appreciate them helping us stay on the air. If you live in one of those communities, uh, you might very well know a member of the Church of Christ. Uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. You, you watch the program and enjoy it and appreciate their support.
whatever market you're in. Uh, you may be very close to a Church of Christ, and we invite you to visit them sometimes. You'll find folks that think and study about the Bible a lot like we do on this program. Uh, we believe the Bible is the Word of God, and we try to follow it as best we can. Uh, and so if you're looking for that kind of a situation, visit the Church of Christ near you sometime. All right, Jeff, uh, I'll let you read this question because I can't. <laughs> I had a little trouble myself in the beginning. But what does sepulcher mean? I got a definition question. Uh, and the word sepulcher, depending on what translation that you're using, I think the King James, it occurs over 40 times, uh, is simply simply means a burial place or a tomb. More specifically, um, the thing that's used to mark that burial place or tomb, a stone or um, a monument of some kind. Uh, so, for instance, in Matthew 27:61 in the King James Bible, uh, it reads, And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Uh, they were sitting against the stone at Christ's tomb. Uh, and that's just the simple definition of sepulcher. It's also uh, the, the most times I've ever said that word uh, in my entire life. So I, I learned something new. I don't think I've ever answered that question. We get it every once in a while. People mm -hmm. wonder what that is. I don't think I've ever taken that question, so I don't have to say the word. That's yeah. good. Yeah. What, word, what word don't you have to say? <laughs> that one he just talked about. There we go. All right, let's get one more question in here. When did Jesus consciously know he was God? In the womb or later? Uh, that's a very interesting thing to think about. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us as far as I know. It just doesn't make that clear. Uh, he was, uh, and the, the difficulty comes because he was fully God, but he was also fully man. So uh, how those two existed, our brains can't computate that. We, we can't figure out how that all worked together, but it did. Uh, so in one sense, he was fully human. He had to learn things. Uh, from his mother and father. Mary taught him things. Uh, I assume that he learned as a human uh, that he was God from Mary. Now, whether his consciousness had that in it before, I don't know. The Bible just doesn't say, I don't think. Uh, when Mary revealed that to him, I don't know. The only answer I can give uh, to this is he learned it sometime before he was 12. <laughs> uh, other than that, I can't specify. But when he was 12, he understood. And the reason we know that is the story about family going to the Passover, uh, Jesus not being with them when they headed home, and they went back to look for him. And when they found him, they said, what in the world do you think you're doing? Uh, you had us worried to death. And here's Jesus' uh, answer. Uh, oh, I didn't put this one on the screen. His answer was, uh, why were you worried about me? Uh, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? I'm taking care of God's business. He's my father. I, I do this. So uh, by that time of 12, he understood that he was the son of God somehow. So I uh, can't answer that one. Uh, he, he learned by 12. All right, let's get our trivia question answered here. Uh, where did the wise men find Jesus? And I guess is a whole lot of our viewers said in the stable or in the manger uh, Matthew 2.11 says it was in a house. When they, on coming to the house, they, the wise men, saw the child with his mother Mary. 
Uh, this was up to two years later after the birth. Uh, the wise men took a while to get there. When they got there, the family had relocated to a house. So uh, that's the answer. We're glad you've been with us this week, and we hope you come back next week for more of your questions. Till then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.